Hi, Louis. Hey, Gavin. How's it going? Good. How are you? I feel great. We've got our martinis in hand. We do. We absolutely do. I gotta say, our last episode, I was a little tips, maybe a little more than tips. Yeah. Um, but it was great. I will say, uh, I first started drinking this martini and I was like, don't love this experience. And the more sips I have of it, the more I'm like, I yeah. think I'm a martini yeah, person. Yeah. That's the thing with drinking. The more you do it, the more you like it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is the Mixed Reviews. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We are a podcast in which we talk about a film subject, such as an actor, an actress, a director, or a mini-genre. And we talk about the good, and we talk about the bad, and then we tell you... What's good and what's bad? Yeah, we yeah. mix up the reviews. We have some fun. We are officially out of our spooky season. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're wearing scarves. Yeah, plaid. yeah. The the sweaters are out. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, but Gavin, we're not alone. No, we have a friend, a guest here today with us. Please welcome to the stage. <laughs> the host of a great podcast that you all should be listening to called Sundays with Kate, which is a Kate Blanchett specific podcast. Murtada. Mm -hmm. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to talk to you. Murtada, where are you um, calling us from? I'm calling you from Dolores' side in New York City. Oh my god, so, so far, far. So, so far. Oh wow. <laughs> a, a, a whole new world out yeah, there, absolutely. Dolores' side. Can you get there by cab? I, I, What's a cab? <laughs> What's a cab? <laughs> yeah. I think um, you can just cross the bridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> before we get into uh, this episode, we do have some old business. Absolutely. Um, our last episode was all about zombies. That was our um, our second Halloween spooktacular um, uh, episode. And I live, laugh, loved that episode way more than I ever thought I would. Um, Someone had to. So, no, no. <laughs> uh, we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite uh, zombie movie um, my pick, The Night of the Comet, came in at last place with 13%. Uh, Gavin's pick, Dawn of the Dead, came in at uh, third place with 21%. We had a lot of love for Other at 28%. And then Shaun of the Dead uh, came in at 38%, which is um, not surprising. Yeah, and and a lot of the others that we got, by the way, uh, like people did actually respond. We got calls for Reanimator. We got calls for the original Night of the Living Dead. Train to Busan. Train to Busan. Um, we got a Paranorman. Yes. Hallelujah. Uh, and my good friend from home, she said, Pontypool. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I love Pontypool. And that makes me happy somebody else has seen it. <laughs> there you go. It's just you and her. Yep. Uh, Murtada, do you have any zombie um, uh, movie knowledge in your life that you love? I do not. Um... <laughs> Absolutely no. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Invader Snatcher something? I like that one. Invasion of the Body Snatchers? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that, that counts. That counts. Oh. Ooh, real quick, too. My friend Kim uh, would very angrily text me to remind me of the movie My Boyfriend's Back, which I totally rewatched mm. for the episode and didn't mention it once. Didn't mention it once. Yeah, early performances by Matthew Fox oh. and um, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who went on to an amazing career. So. Yeah, amazing. Um, we had a really fun episode. Uh, we also had a bunch of like cool, fun, extra stuff on Instagram about zombies um, so yes, I put up an informal poll. It seems like people like slow zombies more yeah, than they like fast zombies. Slow zombies are the better zombies. There are some people who voted for fast, though. And, um, you they're know, wrong. I never want to tell anybody that they're wrong here, but they're wrong. But they are wrong. <laughs> they are wrong, in fact. Um, but okay, enough with the spooky. We're going with the ooky. Um, we are back, back, back at it again with a titan of our industry. Absolutely. Um, a icon, a icon legend star. Uh, Gavin, who are, who are we talking about today? Why, since we have Murtada here, we're talking about Kate Blanchett. <laughs> yeah. Um, Murtada, I want to hear you talk about. So, so obviously you're a fan. Um, <laughs> 
what what like what made you like not only become a fan but also made you be like I'm gonna d- dedicate an entire podcast to this one woman. Well, I've been in love with Kate as an actor since I saw her in Elizabeth in when that movie came out twenty one years ago, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I just. I don't know, something about her, she was so magnetic when I saw her in that movie and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I've just continued watching her movies and following her. And there was a time in, you know, early in her career after Elizabeth Sawyer where she wasn't doing what I think she was do- she was supposed to do. You know, I'm trying to give her notes here. But anyway... <laughs> And then, you know, Kate, the, love, listening. the love was confirmed with just the great movies she has done since The Aviator. And yeah. the last few years, the double whammy of Blue Jasmine and Carol just confirmed that I was right all along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to like escape her. And it's funny. I was not super familiar with her work. Um, I, I mean, she's, it seems like she's always in conversation for like award season stuff. Um but truly, I saw Blue Jasmine at the Castro Theater when it came out and was just like, I mean, there's nothing gayer than going to see Blue Jasmine at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. Yes. Um, and I I mean, I've seen it four times now. And uh, and then like, and with this episode, I was like, okay, now finally I have an excuse to go back and watch. All, like, I had never seen Elizabeth, saw both of them. Um, I had never seen Notes on a Scandal. Isn't that fucking wild? Oh, that's fucking wow. wild. So amazing. One of the best I know, and I mean, done. and literally every every movie I I watched, I was like, damn, damn, <laughs> damn, damn, damn. Also of note, she is our third Australian actor we've done in like, yeah, a bit. We did Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman recently, Chris Hemsworth. We did Chris Hemsworth, and who now, pales in comparison? Sorry, Chris. Yeah, Chris is not quite on the same level. No. But they were together in Thor. Yeah, true. So true, true, true. cute for him. <laughs> It's funny because Kate and Nicole are always sort of trading who's the best Australian actor among them. <laughs> and Nicole always says it's Kate because she has said... When uh, when she did um, Lion, she somebody asked her, everybody in Australia wants you to play them. She's like, no, they want Kate Blanchett to play them. But this particular woman wanted me. And Naomi Watts is... Not who? on the level. Uh, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Do we have anything else to like kind of get out of the way before we get into the rewind? No, I just uh, real quick. I mean, I mean, the thing that I like about Kate Blanchett is she is such a force. Like she's she's more than an actor, and it's really yeah. strange, especially watching so many of these films in such a close proximity to each other. There is an energy, and it and it's very. I don't know if we've we've done somebody, and this is our fifty seventh episode. I don't know if we've done anybody that that the camera loves as much yeah. as Kate Blanchett. <clears throat> And she, like, sweeps into these films, regardless of how large her role is, oh, yeah. and, and just changes the energy. Yeah, I will say, I think, and, and she's a very different actress, uh, but I think Anne Hathaway maybe gives me the say, like, the camera, I think, loves Anne Hathaway. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But I think... Because uh, I was like, where are you going with but this? But Kate Blanchett <laughs> is way more intense and severe. Yeah. Um, and I think she has a greater control of her instrument than... Anne does, and I love them both. Like you know, they're just very different. But what you mentioning actor or actors that feel like just like natural on screen. Like there are very few people that come to mind. Kate Blanchett for sure. Um, and it's funny. I was when I was watching, I was like, man, she's so unlike any other actor, male or female, whatever. She's like 
in these characters. When I see a movie, I'm not like, oh, look at that Kate Blanchett. I'm like, damn, she is gone. She is a gone girl yeah. in each of these movies. <laughs> and she's one of the very few actors who always knows how to fill the frame, um, mm. which is not something that a lot of people pay attention to. But she, she acts with her whole body. But more than that, she is always conscious of where she is in the frame. And it always always gives you something extra. And I think when she works with a director who is also into the frame and into the mise-en-scene like Scorsese or particularly Todd Haynes, then you really see the magic they, they can make. Together. Yeah, a lot of magic in her career. Why don't we jump into our rewind? Absolutely. Catherine Elise Blanchett. Wow. Was, yeah. yeah. What a very elegant name. Absolutely. Like, like basically royalty. Yeah. yeah. Named royalty. Um, she was born on the 14th of May in 1969 um, in a, a Melbourne suburb known as Ivanhoe. I believe it's pronounced Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. No. Her mother, June Blanchett, is Australian, um, and her father, Robert DeWitt Blanchett Jr., is from Texas. Yes, sir. But uh, he's a, he was a United States Navy chief, petty officer, and he met her when his boat broke down in Australia. Ugh, romance. I love that. Ever heard of romance? <laughs> Drama from the beginning. Yes, from the absolutely. beginning! <laughs> My uh, boat just broke down, little lady. Can you help me? Ugh. I, I, I'm gonna play that role. Yeah, I was gonna say you know you're destined for some sort of celebrity when your backstory is basically a Merchant Ivory picture. Yeah, like hello, like literally. Oh my God, what if Kit Blanchett plays her mom in a movie? <laughs> her father eventually became an advertising executive, and her mother uh, was a property developer and teacher. When Blanchett was ten, her father died of a heart attack, which I can't listen. My dad died when I was 25, and it is like right. still uh, a crazy like sore spot in my life so i cannot imagine what that does to someone i think what i read was that he literally went to work one day like kissed the kids goodbye and had a heart attack like at work out of out of like this the blue which is just maybe the most like horrifying like yeah. you know you just never know and it's it's uh, yeah she talks um there's been a lot of interviews where they talk to her about it i was 10 my sister was eight and my brother was 12 11 and um my mum had to go off and um and and finally turn the life support system off my fa from my father, and and her coworker was in there and and bless his socks he was only trying to do the right thing, and he sat us down and of course he was very upset himself, and he said to us I remember pointing the finger he said your mother has got a very tough time ahead of her you all have to be very very good, and he was only trying to look after my mother and there was no malice in it at all, but. Somehow, that's the sense of I have to be a really good girl. I have to be really responsible. She was kind of a rebel early on in life. You know, her, her mother's raising her and her brother and sister by herself, and you know, she she has a she has a self described penchant for dressing in quote unquote masculine clothing. And she went through a lot of phases during her teenage years. She shaved her head at one point. You know, I feel like this is the Melissa McCarthy yeah. part where we're just like she was goth. Yeah, she went to a hot topic and said, "Let's go." <laughs> one thing I want to inter interject here is. She always talks about growing up in a house with many women because after her father died, her maternal grandmother moved in with them. And so she always talks about going around her mother and grandmother and sister and the influence oh, I love that, that has on her. I love that. And yeah. I think I have seen an interview with her saying that, you know, like the, the head on her shoulder is like where it's at because of the women in her life. And she's had these strong female um 
presences in her life. And so that, that totally makes sense. She did her secondary education where she attended the Ivanhoe Girls Grammar School and the Methodist Ladies College, where she explored working and acting. But then she kind of was like, I don't want to do this. Uh-huh. And so she studied economics and fine arts at the University of Melbourne. But uh, dropped out after one year to travel overseas. Yeah. Uh, She goes to Egypt with a friend, and there's a man there who's like, I need extras for my Egyptian boxing movie. Yeah. And she gets a part. That's... Okay, um, tagging, calling an audible a foul. I just read this interview with her, and she was like, oh, the boxing movie legend. She's like, it's not true. Oh, really? She... She's in she, it. I've so, seen the movie. It's on YouTube. She yeah. says, I, I swear to God, it's a Guardian, a Guardian article I just read, like, on the bus over here. She says, you know, I was really desperate for money. Um, we had nothing. Like, I couldn't p- even pay rent for the week. And it, it was, like, a Scottish guy, you know, and this, he wanted extras for a movie that spoke English. And she was like, I needed the money. It was, like, you would. Get, it was, like, literally five Egyptian pounds. So she said she went, and she was like, it was so hot and boring that I just left. And the, I have heard her say that, but... And the interview was said, so you're not in the movie. And she's like, no, I'm not. Counterpoint, uh, she told this interview on David Letterman uh, and says she's in the movie. I had no money and I needed some money to stay for a week longer in Cairo. Right. And he was recruiting English, no, American-looking extras to be in an Egyptian boxing film. <laughs> and they were going to pay, like, two, I, two, two Egyptian pounds, which would have been paid my rent for the week. And I said, sure. And it was, and you're going to get free falafel, so you're getting it fed. <laughs> and it was so boring. The director actually had one of those megaphones with director written in Arabic on the side. <laughs> I don't know what they did. They sort of had this boxer. And the Egyptian crowd, who were cheering the Egyptian boxer, were amazing. Mm-hmm. Those extras were phenomenal. Yeah. And then when it got to us, we had given these pom-poms, and they were going, telling us to cheer. And we just went, it was so embarrassing. We just went, yay. <laughs> and they didn't feed us. And so I left. Kate, what is the truth? I have two anecdotes about this. The first one okay, is okay. that I grew up in Sudan. So we get okay. Egyptian movies all the time. This movie called Kaburia is a very big, it was a very big hit of its time, which is early 90s, something like that. I've seen it. I uh, you know, I can't say I know Kate or there is a blonde woman in one scene. So it could yes, be her, okay, it could be somewhere a... else. And that scene is on YouTube. The second... It is, I watched it too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the second thing, um, I was at the New York Film Festival in 2003 where she was right after Blue Jasmine came out. So she was the start of her Oscar campaign and the New York Film Festival did a tribute evening with her interview on stage that I went to. And at the Q&A, somebody stood up and raised their hand. And they told the story about the boxing movie. He raised his hand, asked a question, and he's like, I don't have a question, but I'm the director of that movie. (gasps) Holy shit. Yes. And he's like, and because she told the story about how he would scream at them with a bullhorn. And he's like, I just wanted to apologize for the bullhorn. (laughs) Oh, my God. The, whoever, I mean, who knows? The I am I am happy that we have cleared the air on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. She says, I went along and there was an Arabic guy with a megaphone, like something out of a silent movie. And it was so hot and so boring that I left. So she was never in the boxing movie? No, she groans. But you can say that if you want. Print the legend of the boxing movie. 
She she's so funny. She's this is gonna be a sidebar, and we'll get back to her history in a moment. She is so funny and so good in interviews, and she does not suffer any fools. I mean, there everybody knows the the very legendary her and Sarah Paulson on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. There's a great um, actors on actors on YouTube with it's her and Ian McKellen, like and, the the best old friends. Yes. Like, oh my god, yeah, absolute Judies, just the, be, the best. And, to be American, you have to be American from your feet through to your head, don't you feel? Yes. But now you can do that. I mean, I ought to be able to do that, but it's just the bloody voice gets in the but, way. But don't you know? Think of what a career I could have had if I think could. Think what, yes. Could I have passed through Your America. career has been so terrible and disappointing <laughs> and limiting. <laughs> she gets back to Australia and she moves to Sydney and she's enrolled in the National Institute of Dramatic Arts to pursue acting because she's now gotten this acting bug from an Egyptian movie she may or may not have yeah. been in. She, she does admit that she, like, was... You know, she's like, I'm giving myself five years to make it happen. Yeah. And and so she was, whether or not she was in this movie or not, which she may be, was, right. um, she was like, I want to do this. So she graduates in 92 when I was nine. It's mm. <laughs> so, that's, the only reason I say that is it's so weird to me that her career, like, this is not the normal path for an actor. Right. This is late for an actor. and oh, most yeah. And most people... They basically consider their career dead if they started as late as she did. That's not true, and you should never think that way if you're an aspiring actor. But it's interesting to note that, like, yes, it can be done. Yeah. Um, especially if you're Kate Blanchett. Yeah, and what's what's great, I mean, what I love and admire is, like, she went to school. And right. she went to, you know, uh, uh, she, I mean, she's obviously a beautiful woman. But she was like, I want to go to where the greats are and really hone my craft. And I think I also read that she said, I wanted to start from scratch. Like, I needed to, like, really, you know, get to the bottom of, like, who I was and find out how to be an actor. And, bitch, hello? (laughs) You know what other actor started their career late after they finished acting school? Meryl Streep. Yeah. Meryl Streep. There you go. She doesn't start out in films. And and we're going to... Take a little deeper dive into this in a moment, but like theater, theater is Kate Blanchett's mistress. You know, her first major stage role is opposite Jeffrey Rush in uh, Oleana, the David Mamet play um, for the Sydney Theater Company. She's also one of the minor characters in Electra. And two weeks into rehearsals, the actress playing the lead drops out, and the director Lindy Davis offers Kate Blanchett the role. So she's having a year yeah i mean matt you just graduated from you know drama school and you're in these two like really i mean it was the premiere of that david mamet play right yeah like and it, it was huge i mean people that's what people got notes for and she talks about how um there was a moment where she like giggled on stage at someone like tripping and the director like laid into her and she realized, you know, and she was like sobbing, sobbing. And she was like, it's not about me. It's about the work. And right. I think that was really formative for her because she always like tells a story about how whatever um, like story I'm telling, it's not about me. It's about letting the, the work speak for itself. And she's such a she's very generous in that way. You know, she really feels like she's a vehicle for uh, uh, whether it's a movie or something on a stage. Absolutely. And she was a phenomenon from the beginning. Like those two plays that you mentioned, the reviews for them where it was just like a phenomenon is born for the Australian stage. It was very, who's that girl? And and not only is it a phenomenon, she's, she's awarded for those roles. Um, she 
is awarded uh, Best Newcomer Award for, for a role in Kafka's Dances, and she wins Best Actress Award for Oleana, and that's the first time that anybody has won in both of those categories. Right, in the same year. Yeah, absolutely. So she is, like, breaking things down already. You know, keeps doing theater, loves the theater, but starts making appearances on Australian TV. She does, uh, you know, the miniseries Heartland, the miniseries Border Town with Hugo Weaving, <laughs> And, and, you know, she basically just starts to pop up everywhere. Eventually, she lands her first film role, um, which is in the movie Paradise Road, directed by Bruce Beresford. Now, I don't know if either of you have seen Paradise Road. I kept seeing it, um, but I did not actually watch it. Starring Gun Close, right? Yes. I, have, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the video of her taking... <laughs> Juliana Margulies asked her date to the talented Mr. Ripley premiere because apparently yes. they became friends during Paradise Road. Which is funny because that movie is a great ensemble movie full of amazing actresses and Juliana Margulies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wow. Sorry. I would say there are some defined leads, them being Glenn Close. The, an, argument, an argument could be made for Frances McDormand, but Kate Blanchett's a lead in this movie and I, I feel like you can't not argue that. She's the first person you see in the film. She has one of the first lines in the film. Wow. She's all throughout it. And she's so good. So I can't imagine making your first major film opposite Glenn Close. Yeah. And you're a fucking lead. Yeah. A country girl. And you're it. Oh. Well, you were always shy. You blushed when I asked you to dance. I did not. It's just hot. Have you a boyfriend? Yes. Oh, no. Had one, but he's in Egypt or somewhere. Egypt? Well, forget him. He's probably chasing some dusky maiden in appearance by now. <laughs> in '97, she uh, stars opposite Ray Fiennes in Gillian Armstrong's Oscar and Lucinda, uh, which is another lead, and you know it earns her her first AFI award nomination for best leading actress. She won the AFI Best Actress award in the same year for her role as Lizzie in the romantic comedy Thank God He Met Lizzie, which I also saw and did not love. Okay, she does three movies in '97, so also she's like right out the gate. Yeah, because. You know, Paradise Road, Thank God He Met Lizzie, Oscar and Lucinda, same year. That's a lot. I mean, especially for somebody with, she's in these movies a lot. Right. She was a busy girl. I mean, and she had said, though, like, I'm going to try. And she said she was shocked at how, you know, it, it all it came together for her. She's, you know, I don't think she had a big dreams i think she thought she was going to be like a regional actress and doing theater which she she said she was fine with and when the movie role started coming in she was just kind of like dumbfounded and even and, and we're getting to like elizabeth which yes. was her breakthrough performance which is the next year yeah let yeah. me say one thing about thank god he met lizzie her co-star in that is richard droxburg and right. they are kind of the tracy and hepburn of australian theater because they made that movie but they've also made a lot of theater together throughout the years Including until last year when they made their Broadway debut together in the present. So yes, 98 comes around. She yeah. plays Queen Elizabeth I of England in the movie Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, which is the film with the most 90s opening credits I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, very 90s movie. Yes. Um, but she said, she's like, I thought as soon as it was over, I thought my career was over. What? Yeah, she was like, I didn't think I was very... Like, I, she's like, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I think she said... 
in this same interview, maybe this interview was a lie, but she was like, I called my agent and I was like, I think my career might be over. And, and again, she was shocked that uh, people loved it and she got all these awards and Which it was is, her big breakthrough. It's so funny because she's so good in it. There's a, a ton of good performances. And, and me joking about the 90s opening credits is not to say it is a, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. It is. And it's her, it was her international breakout and it's the reason I fell in love with her. She's so amazing playing Elizabeth and she charts that journey of the young ingenue teenage Elizabeth to the monarch Elizabeth that we know of so well. She's amazing in Elizabeth. For God's sake, you are still my Elizabeth. I am not your Elizabeth. I am no man's Elizabeth. And if you think to rule, you are mistaken. I will have one mistress here. She does physically change in that movie. I forgot how genuinely like young, young yeah. she looks in that. I mean, everybody does. I was also so I was like Jeffrey Rush without wrinkles. Yeah. Um, but uh, the uh, but she looks so young at the beginning of that movie, and when she be- when she becomes Elizabeth yeah. the yeah. first, it's it's a physical transformation, and I that's all her. Yeah. Is it, is it Ray Fiennes? Uh, no, it's Joseph Fiennes. Joseph Fiennes. Joseph, okay, so Joseph Fiennes, who also was in Shakespeare in Love, playing Shakespeare. Yes, correct. But, like, basically the same... I mean, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's you. <laughs> Again. <laughs> the lesser Fiennes. I was, I was just gonna say, I'm sure Ray Fiennes also says that when he sees his brother. Well, it's oh, like, it's you. It's you. Again. Uh, a, a very 90s actor, you know, yes. like... And Joseph Fiennes not only 90s. He's basically only 98. It's those two movies. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Drag him. So I did a whole... My first episode of my podcast is about Elizabeth. And we talked a lot okay. about why that movie... It was a, a hit, a substantial hit, and it got all these Oscar nominations. And a lot of it is because it was the first time that you saw British royalty in this visceral way. Like, they're carnal, yeah. they're violent. It was not um, a staid, polite court, you know, uh, costume drama. In terms of awards for that, she earned a Golden Globe Award and a British Academy Award, BAFTA, uh, and her first Screen Actors Guild and Academy Award nominations for Best Actress. The following year... Um... Can I just say, I still haven't forgiven Gwyneth Poulter for winning that year. Even though Kate has <laughs> okay. two Oscars, but still. That Oscar is Kate's. Literally, I saw an interview, it was like a, this British show, and the interviewer was like, so do you and Gwyneth Paltrow, like, what's the, like, what's the deal with that? Like, you, you were, abs- you, you acted circles around her for in that role. Have you ever laughed with her about it? Because there was a lot of hoo-ha about it at the time. Oh, yes, I mean, you know, I think it's, these things are all about timing and my agent actually had a t-shirt made up before the event saying it was it was rigged we was robbed (laughs) (laughs) and we threatened to wear it underneath his thing and but no i think it's the i think it's great to be nominated for these things but i don't know what it does to win them because it's are you more entitled to win it than anyone else in in 99 and i only bring this up uh, she does a short film called bangers now i only bring this up because it was written and directed by her husband, Andrew Upton, mm. um, and they produced it together. Um, and then she starts doing Hollywood Fair, and this is the the period that you're mentioning, Murtada, that she gets all this uh, acclaim for playing Queen Elizabeth, and she does 
pushing tin with Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack. Um, you know, she does do Talented Mr. Ripley the next year, which she's is great in yeah, I was gonna say that's in line. Yeah, that that makes sense. Well, she says at this time, like after Elizabeth, she says she got offered every role under the sun to be uh, in a costume drama, and she was like, "It's the same thing." And I. And she I, she says, you know, I didn't realize how quickly you could become typecast. And so she turned down all of those. And she's like, I didn't care if I died on page nine. I wanted, um, you know, characters that were interesting and weird and, you know, to really show her range. And I think she really did that. Yeah. And if you look at all those movies that she did after Elizabeth, they, there's nothing in common. The genres are all different. The directors are all different. The actors. But the one thing that they have in common is that they are the anti-Elizabeth. Yeah. The characters are so far from Elizabeth. I mean, in Talented Miss Ripley, she is not... I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's the female lead in that movie. Yeah. She's not in it a lot. I was like, oh, I guess I have to fucking watch another Matt Damon movie. God. <laughs> if, there, if there's a Matt Damon movie you have to watch, it's a good one. It's not... Yeah. It's the one where he's a twink. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. his best part ever and his best I performance. It made me so sad, though. <laughs> Some people are sick, Louis. <laughs> Some people are gay, Gavin. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Don't misconstrue my words. <laughs> we have a theory that we came to in the episode that I did on Talent and Mr. Ripley with Jose Solis, and is that Martin Scorsese probably saw her in that and cast her in The Aviator because the way that she plays Meredith Slogue, it's very East Coast sort of haughty grandeur that's kind of like Katherine Hepburn. The truth is that it, well, if you've had money your entire life, even if you despise it, which we do, agree, you're, you're only truly comfortable around other people who have it and despise it. I know. I've never admitted that to anyone. She gets a BAFTA nomination for that role, uh, but it's it's really not until uh, 2001's uh, The Lord of the Rings where she gets like public consciousness i feel like i mean she had the awards consciousness everybody knew who she was she was like a, a tier actress right she's suddenly like not just a prestige actress right. well, she's in this she's, giant fantasy well, honestly film. now it's like money like you right. know uh i i've seen a smattering of the lord of the rings movies I, i'm not a lord of the rings person oh. i am happy if you are uh, I feel that way about the Hobbit film. I've seen the Lord of the Rings movies. I watched the first Hobbit movie and was like, I'm out. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't seen the Hobbit, play... but I've seen all the Lord of the Rings. They were good. But if you're if if you're gonna hire someone to be like this elegant, beautiful, yes. um, regal elf person, yeah, she's yeah. the one. <laughs> and and that fun fact, that scene where she gives that monologue about being a dark queen and whatever, and she turns all evil. No special effects. She just, just did it on her own. Just her. Absolutely. She just. <laughs> <laughs> very talented and what's funny is she said she's like i just wanted to work with peter jackson you know yes. and and that's what i love she loves working with i mean we'll see this through her career she's working with all these like really big time directors who have points of view yeah who have uh you know uh, well i mean yeah her entire career is is like after after elizabeth is a who's who you know you have jim jarmusch and joel schumacher ron howard wes anderson martin scorsese yeah. And the list goes on and on. Todd Haynes, who she refers to as her girlfriend, and I love that. Uh, um, God. Uh, so, yes, she plays Galadriel in The Lord of the Rings. In 2002, she appeared in Tom Tickfer's Heaven um, with uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Can which, I just like, say, I loved Heaven. Oh, so good. I thought it was so weird, but yeah. so good. Yeah. I. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like, what a beautiful movie. 
And Rubisi, so sexy. I went I went to my um, regular Italian consultant because once again he went to undergrad for Italian, Dan Walber. Okay. And uh he said um uh Kate's accent like because that movie's majorly yeah. in Italian. And he yeah. said her accent's really good and just she occasionally makes a couple like beginner Italian mistakes, but also she's playing British. Giovanni Rubisi is playing full blooded Italian, and yeah. he was like yeah, about I him. don't care. I yeah. that movie is so fucking weird, but so good. Yeah. I'm very sad that um, apparently it was going to be part of a trilogy, but yeah. the screenwriter passed away. Uh, Kuzla- uh, Christoph Kuzlowski. I know I'm fucking that up. I love him so. Like uh, Dan told me, like he's like no one can pronounce Polish, so don't feel bad. You're gonna fuck it up regardless. Right. Um, uh, Heaven, small movie, go see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coffee and cigarettes for Jim Jarmusch, which is one of her funniest performances. Like Kate is not known for doing comedy, and she doesn't do a lot of comedy. But Coffee and cigarettes is so funny. It's on YouTube. It's one scene she plays herself and her cousin. That's really what Gucci yeah. plays. It's so funny. Everyone wow. should see it. It's funny, and I can't remember which guest of yours it was. I think it might have been Manuel. Uh, who, when you asked him who his favorite screen partner was for Kate Blanchett, and he said Kate Blanchett. Uh, that was Chris yes. File. <laughs> it was Chris. It was Chris. I should have known. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I I mean, it's so good. I, Chris, I mean, love you, man. Shout out to Chris. We love you. Out, yeah. <laughs> Former guest on our show as well. Yeah, um, and now in 2005, she wins her first Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, portraying Catherine Hepburn Casual. in Martin Scorsese's The Aviator. Um, it's the first time anybody has ever won portraying a previous Academy Award winner. Yeah. Um, I listened to your episode on The Aviator. I have always been a little sour on her performance. I know I'm in... I am in the minority. I am well aware. Okay. Um, and I will say, Murtada, your episode on The Aviator, which if you guys haven't listened to, I highly recommend listening to it, pushed me more towards the positive camp. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We're doing the yeah. good work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Lord's work. Murtada, what, I mean, so I had never seen The Aviator, another movie that I was like, ugh, if I have to see a Leonardo DiCaprio movie, I guess. <laughs> um, All nine hours of it. Yeah, but I did. And I was like, damn, she, uh, so... Her first scene is like just like talking, 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 talking. She ha- um, is just so like radiant, um, and she uses that like voice to full effect. She's got that really great like kind of baritone voice, yeah. Um, and she's she turns up her masculinity like to eleven, and she can fucking wear the shit out of some pants. Yeah, it's a great performance because it's a mix of mimicry. Because Catherine Hepburn is somebody who's so well known as a movie yep. star. And you can't play Katherine Hepburn without doing a Katherine Hepburn imitation. She does the imitation and the mimicry, but she also gives it so much more. The voice work is so excellent. She gets the Katherine Hepburn very unique voice, but also yeah. she gives it vulnerability, especially later in the film. I've met someone, I've fallen in love, and I'm moving out. If I could make it any more gentle, I would. But I can't, so there we both are. (laughs) Let's be honest. It's all been a grand adventure, but it couldn't possibly last. We're two alike, you and I. (laughs) You met someone? Someone more appropriate uh, to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, fuck me, I like the aviator. No, no, I mean, I I actually do, I was going to say, I did think it was funny on your episode about the aviators, you both seem to be a little more negative on the movie itself. I actually do really like the movie as well. I think my issue was, and, and you kind of, like I said, pushed me in the other direction, is that I felt too much of the mimicry and not enough of the real person. And after listening to your episode, I went back and rewatched her scenes and I was like, you know what? There is, there is a performance there and I'm being too harsh because I'm being really precious about my thoughts and opinions on Catherine Hepburn Mm. and how I think. And I was like, no, she's, she's, she is giving a performance and I should, I'm the problem here. <laughs> I think it's her so. riskiest performance because it's very hard to play Ooh. someone that people know so well. And not only know so well, but you're playing her in the same medium. We There are so hundreds of films of Katherine Hepburn. It's not like yeah. playing Lincoln or um, right, right. any other biopic. You are playing a movie star who people love. So you have to give a nod to the screen persona, but you also have to find the person and I think she's it's a risky it. text. Yeah. It's a risky text. She like lends her Oscar statuette because technically you can't like give an Oscar away. Like you have to you have to offer it back to the Academy um, mm. and, and like for a dollar, I think it is, or, or however much people have sold their Oscars. Yeah, you're not supposed to. That's the whole contract, though. Um, but she has loaned it to the Australian Center for the Moving Image. And that's where it is now. The same year, she wins an Australian Film Institute Award for Best Actress for her role as Tracy Hart. Um, in the movie Little Fish, uh, which was co-produced yeah. by her husband's production company, Dirty Films. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to get another chance to talk about this, but I watched Little Fish, and I, I I don't know anybody else's experiences with addicts in their life, but I thought her performance as a recovering heroin addict was so fucking good. And I've seen some people be a little dour about it, and I was like, no, I was like, if you've ever met anybody, and like, she nails it. And, like, it's not easy right yeah i loved i mean so i i didn't finish the movie i got maybe halfway through um and i my main takeaway was like man i love that she loves her home Mm -hmm. i love that she loves her community i love that she made this movie that is showing um australians which include you know asian and pacific islanders and that community um, that make up such a big part of Australia that you right. don't get to see. When you think of Australian cinema, you don't get to see that community. And here in this movie that she made with her husband, they are not only showing that part, but they are a big part of that movie. And it's yeah. the grittiest film and performance she has ever given, which is, you know, you go from the glamour of Catherine Hepburn to how gritty she is as Tracy Hart in Little Fish within the same yeah. year. Um talk about range and yeah she, she's i think she range. should make more australian movies i love that performance i agree i was gonna say i mean hearing her speak in her own voice and yeah. her own accent and which is funny because she doesn't even always give interviews in her own voice yeah i mean it's, she her accent work is impeccable yeah she's very i mean uh, uh, uh like nicole kidman has given lots of roles where like it's very shaky quakey well, i was i was gonna say i was gonna compare it to nicole kidman i was gonna be like nicole kidman loves wigs mm-hmm. <laughs> kate blanchett loves accurate accent work <laughs> yeah i mean and and looking at her i mean her body of work the accents she's done yeah are from everywhere and, and and i have not seen one movie where i'm like oh that accent's bad not, not one i, I mean, mean cor- correct me if i'm wrong but she gift? nails it did you guys see the gif because that's a perfect I've seen the, yeah accent. i've seen the gif. yeah i watched the gif for when we did the keanu reeves episode oh so. okay um i mean I, literally i was like if the girl can do one thing. It's 
accent work. I think I think her goofiest accent, if you if we had to play this game, would be maybe Indiana Jones, mm. and even that is like it's like not it's fun because it is almost like Camp. it's like Boris and Natasha yeah, style Russian. Absolutely, like, yeah. She always takes it further. I think it's the whole voice. She is very yeah. expert. Um, we haven't gotten to Benjamin Button yet, but that's where no. the accent meets the voice. Because she charts somebody from being a teenager until being in their 90s, while they're also from New Orleans. So she mixes the accent with the voice work of like a young person to a middle-aged person to a very old person. All done expertly. You have Babel for Inaratu, and uh, she does the good German for Steven Soderbergh. And then she does Notes on a Scandal, um, which she's against Dame Judi Dench. And it is fire, that movie. That movie, it slaps. It's not long. It's a very tight movie. Um... I don't even know what to say in that movie. The, the first year I got out of college, I was a news producer for a morning show in Albany, New York. And so I would work from midnight until 10 a.m. the next day. And the only time I would have to see movies would be immediately after work. So I went to the Crossgate Small Cinema okay. um, <laughs> and saw Notes on a Scandal at like 11 a.m., tired out of my mind. And like I was enwrapped yeah. by that film. I have seen that film so many times. I if I put it on, I can I'll be saying the words with both her and Judy. I think <laughs> it is the whatever happened to Baby Jane of our time. It is such Absolutely. a Absolutely. Also, I would pay good money to watch Murtada do the shadow cast version. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Murtada, when is your one woman show? <laughs> yeah, I need to do it. <laughs> She received her third Academy Award nomination for performance uh, in that movie. A Sheba. <laughs> yes. Sheba um, You're not young. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, coming to Broadway soon. <laughs> in 2007, Blanchett was named by Times Magazine's one of the 100 most influential people in the world and uh, one of the most successful actresses by Forbes Magazine. She starts r- like really ramping up the work here. She does the sequel to Elizabeth, The Golden Age in 2007. Um, she does one of the incarnations of Bob Dylan in which she plays Jude Quinn for Todd Haynes's film, I'm Not There. Um, and she wins the, the Volpe Cup uh, for Best Actress at the Venice Film Festival for that role. Um, the Independent Spirit and Golden Globe uh, Best Supporting Actress Awards for that portrayal. So, like, she's clearly... She's not going unnoticed right. for these things. Uh, yeah, and she was double Oscar nominated. And that's the year yes. when I think that it coalesced to a lot of people just because they saw her as Elizabeth again and as Bob Dylan yeah. within a few weeks of each other. So it just coalesced yeah. in people's minds that she is an actress with great range and one of the best of her generation, if not the best. You know, uh, I didn't come out of some cereal box. There's no one out there who's ever going to be converted by a song. There's no um, Phil Oak song that's uh, uh, going to keep a movement moving you know, or a picket line picketing. His songs acts a personal conscience. Like uh, burning a draft card or burning yourself. <laughs> Doesn't do a damn thing. Can you just imagine, like, being Kate Blanchett walking into the Oscars and be like, yeah, period dramas, whatever, playing, like, biopic, but, like, a man, sure, no big deal. Like, bitch! Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a power move. It's That's a, yeah. a power move. That's a stunt. 
working with every famous director currently yeah. working. Mentioned Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, in which she plays, uh, you know, the evil Dr. Arena Spelko, which Spielberg has said is his favorite villain of the series. Yeah. Sure, Steven. Sure, Steven. Um, Make better movies. <laughs> um, and then she, we're, we're up to Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which I just listened to your episode today. Uh, I had actually never seen it before this episode, and it's not because I didn't want to. I like David Fincher. I'm not part of the bro David Fincher culture, uh, but I... I just, it's the only Fincher movie I hadn't seen. It just sort of slipped by me, and I think the running time really made me be It like, is very long. I don't know. I must yeah. admit, I did not get to it, because I knew it was very long, and I was yeah. like, okay, I could either commit to watching this or watch a lot of the other ones that I, 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 need, I needed to do. Like, I needed to do more homework, and I still need to do more homework, but... um uh, I, I you Murtada talking about the range she has in this um, is making me like fuck. I should have seen it. Yeah, the, the thing is, with this part, it's very tricky, and I think it's not thought of as one of her signature parts because she's the girl, and it's basically yes. she's the love interest. But also, it's such a weird love story, and nothing happens to Brad's character except aging backwards. But everything happens to her yes. character. I was I was so happy that you mentioned that because. Okay, and the, I think the only thing missing from that episode of you talking about The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is the movie is, it's her as as the wraparound story, but it is his diary, and we basically learn nothing about his interior life, even though it's being read from his diary. And I think that's a, a crazy thing that it's like, who, where else do you write your innermost thoughts than, than right. your journal or your diary? And basically, it's almost like he's just cataloging what he did each day. Yeah. It's a and weird then, like, movie. It's, it's a very weird movie. It's a movie. weird movie. <laughs> and I, I have, I have one more like kind of uh, thing about it is I think they were being really conscious about the fact that they didn't want her to be the woman who gave up her life for a man, which is smart. But that the the car running her over and breaking her leg so she can't dance anymore feels like they had to invent something to make her the woman to give up her life to dedicate it to him. Yeah. And I was like, bitch. Spoiler alert, Gavin. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, I was I, I I loved her performance. And like you said, she does so much heavy lifting. She wears like eighty pounds of old age makeup in the wraparound story, which once again, as you mentioned on your episode, I don't understand because she's not that old. Right. Um, she looks hundred and sixty. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She's she's playing like what, eighty something, and they're like, sure, um, I don't know, she's dust. <laughs> <laughs> and here we come to she's on top of the world, she's working with all these directors, all these big movies, and yes. she's like, I'm taking time off to go run the Sydney Theatre Company. Yeah. Absolutely. In 2008, her and her husband, were, they're like, uh, we're going to go be co-CEOs and artistic directors of the Sydney Theatre Company. And um, yeah, she she basically is like, we're going to run things. Now, admittedly, she waits a year and then she starts acting in those productions. Right. Do we know, like, what... So the Sydney Theatre Company, were they just, like, looking for someone to... I'm assuming so. By them? I mean that that happens. That uh, happens with yeah, institutions sh- sure. all the time. I wonder I mean I wish I knew more dramaturgy about her and her husband like, "Babe, did you hear that the Sydney theater?" I know cuz it it does feel and everything I've I think found they were offered the them. job. They were just offered oh, they the were. job of oh, running good. the theater I mean, for for whatever time. Yeah, I, mean, I I think we was we were ambushed and surprised by the offer. Um, and it, we, it felt it would have been an act of cowardice if we didn't take it up. Mm. And I think that suddenly from being um, an actress of um, 
international standing and importance, I was suddenly a celebrity, a la Kim Kardashian. And it's interesting the way you get suddenly get um, smaller breasts. But um, you get, um, but you get, you get, um, you, you realise how you get pigeonholed very quickly. And I think that there was a little bit of argy-bargy, but you can't, you know, have to have a thick skin. And we just, there was a lot to do and we got on with doing it. And, and I think that, that the impact and, and the work has been the proof. Her first love is theater. And yeah, so she, like you said, she waited a year and then she started performing in the productions. Absolutely. And the first thing she does is Tennessee Williams' Streetcar Named Desire, directed by Liv Ullman. And what's really funny is I guess essentially the story is that um, uh, Liv Ullman wanted to do a film adaptation of A Doll's House and it fell sort of by the wayside and Blanchette was like hey, let's do Streetcar. And Liv Ullman was like, fuck yes, girl. So, I've seen that production. Yeah. It came to Brooklyn. She is amazing. Yes. In it. It's um, it's a great performance. And it's um, the Liv Ullman kind of it is that it made it more um, Blanche's story. Uh, and mm, okay. Not Stanley's, really. Because Stanley's always, I mean, Blanche is great too, but Stanley is... The gotcha part, yeah. in but in this production, it was more about Blanche and who played Stanley. Was it Liv Shriver? Um, <laughs> uh, Stanley was Joel Edgerton. Yes, Joel, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Australia's Liv Shriver. Right, Correct. right, great. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. It's an all Australian awful. cast. Yes. Yeah. 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 I read that Meryl Streep saw the performance. And was like, I thought I knew this show. I thought I knew the lines. I thought, she's like, I had never seen Streetcar until I saw it with Kate Blanchett. Yeah. She has redefined the that, role. I mean, that's basically exactly what she said. The only other thing that she said is she took the layers of a person and just peeled them away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine. Imagine taking an American classic that is every every actor knows. Yeah. And then reinventing it. And making like the definitive performance, like all these years after its premiere. It's it's funny. I I remember when it came to Brooklyn, and that's one of my biggest regrets, Martata. So I am very jealous, and um, I'm not planning on murdering you and taking your life. I just <laughs> that's not what I, I am biased, but it's the best performance I've ever seen on stage. Wow. I mean, I, I mean you're not alone. Jane Fonda agrees. You know, I mean, Meryl Streep agrees. I mean, so. I just saw Beetlejuice on Broadway, so I don't know. <laughs> She does Robin Hood with Ridley Scott. She does Joe Wright's Hannah, um, which but I love. You guys, lo- I this is she her. did it in her downtime from running the Sydney Theatre Company. She had like a few yeah. weeks here and there, and she's like, "Okay, yeah. I'll do Robin Hood and Hannah." Exactly. She's just picking up the phone and being like, "Yeah, Joe. Yeah, uh-huh. I've got like fifteen minutes. Sure, fine. Yeah, uh. sure." And and she continues just l- like literally production after production after production. She does. Um, Uncle Vanya, which also transfers over here. Um, which is what and, is Richard Roxburgh. Yes, yeah. There and you go. She, actually, she I found an interview where she said the director of that gave her one of her favorite pieces of acting advice. He said to us on opening night, he said, you know all those moments, all those laughs that you're getting, all those moments that you think, I can't wait for this moment to come up. Don't do them tonight. He mm. said, don't do them and see what happens. And it could be awful. And we may get the worst reviews we're ever going to get, but don't get addicted to the laughs and don't get addicted to those moments that work. Search again for the moments that you think and, and, and risk being in that really uncomfortable place where you don't know what's going to happen next. Mm. I thought, wow, that's brave. 
And that's the other thing that I love about her. She's so good. She's such an established actor at this point. And she's still, like, admitting to learning things about her own craft. You mentioned before we started recording that you sort of think her love isn't actually film. That it's theater. And I agree. I feel like in every interview she has, she finds a way to bring up that she's a creature of the theater. Right. She is, and she started first in the theater, and I think that's... And then I think that film just happened to her because she was so good in theater, and they started casting <laughs> her, and then it was like, you know, she can't say no to Scorsese right. or Spielberg right. or Fincher or whoever. But yeah, she always yeah. goes back though? to the theater. She's really committed. Like, I don't think she goes more than two years without being on stage. And look, every act is different, but for me, when you work primarily in the film industry, there's a, a structure, an apparatus around that industry that can infantilize one. And look, you can't take it personally. They just don't want you to, to ride that motorbike because if you have an accident, they can't shoot tomorrow. So it's not really about you as a human being, it's about you as an object. <laughs> but because there's, you know, there, there's a lot of money involved, I think, and it's, it's, um, there's a time pressure on it, that you can, you can get infantilized by it. And you get, but, but more importantly for me as a stage actor, you get, can get very dislocated from your audience. And we are so lucky for it. Absolutely. But I would love that. I would love to see her be like, no, Mr. Scorsese, I'm too busy. I, right. <laughs> I have a production I... of The Little Foxes to do. <laughs> um, actually, I can see her doing that. In 2013, she... Uh, this is, the, this she is put... the best year of her career. This is the yeah, year absolutely. it all comes together. All those years, all those stage productions, all those days with Scorsese and Fincher and whoever, she, and Todd Haynes, it all comes together that year. Absolutely. And she, she does... Woody Allen's Blue Jasmine, um, to which like a lot of people are like, "Oh my God, I'm finally getting to see her play Blanche Dubois on on screen." But but as she has said, Woody didn't want to hear it. Yeah, you know, not not that I not that I want to praise Woody Allen too much on it. We are we clapped for Nicole Kidman passing on Woody Allen, so we'll just say he's involved in the movie somehow. But um, <laughs> but he did apparently he told her like he was like, "I don't, don't want it. Don't yeah. don't tell me about Blanche." Yeah, I read that too, and. I mean, listen, we're going to talk about Blue Jasmine. Yeah. We'll probably have to talk about how we talk about Woody Allen. Yeah. Um, but uh, the movie's a fucking banger. It really is. We'll put a pin in it because she's, um, she's coming I mean, back. forget who wrote it and directed it. If we, if, we if we don't ascribe to the auteur theory, this movie is yes. a Kate Blanchett movie. It's not Woody Allen's yes. Blue Jasmine. It's Kate Blanchett's Blue Jasmine. The movie I, lives yeah. and dies with that performance. The performance is the movie. Um, so he might have written the words, he might have been on set, but it's Kate on screen, and that's why you watch the movie. She gets 40 industry and critical awards. Like, it's, it's a lot. Um, uh, she, you know, she wins the Academy Award for Best Actress. Uh, it, her win made her just the sixth actress to win an Oscar in both acting categories, and the third to win Best Actress after Best Supporting Actress, and the first Australian to win more than one acting Oscar. Mm-hmm. Once again, sorry, Chris Hemsworth. Sorry. <laughs> You're working really hard, we know. <laughs> and, you know, after that, she does The Monuments Men with Matt Damon and George Clooney. But the less said about that movie, the better. Uh, she does a voice in How to Train Your Dragon 2. Uh, she does a couple Terrence Malick films shot back-to-back that were originally meant to be one film. Uh, if you ever expect me to watch a modern Terrence no, Malick no. movie, you are mistaken. Never. Yeah. I tried watching one for um, Natalie Portman. And you I, gave that. You gave. I know. I know. You I know. Gave I know. That movie, your one star review, and you didn't even get to Natalie Portman. Nope, I don't want to hear it, Louis. I know. Nope. 
Somebody know. put all Kate scenes in Night in Cups on YouTube. I don't know if they're still there, they but really? when it came out, that's how I, I should have did that. I should have did that. That's that's smart. So then, then, <laughs> then she plays the titular role <laughs> in Carol, the titular Carol of Carol. <laughs> Based off Patricia Highsmith's The Price of Salt, um, reuniting with Todd Haynes, starring opposite Rooney Mara. Some say many of your guests on your show, her her best scene partner. I would have a hard time disagreeing, honestly. I think it's Dame Judy. Um, it, it might it might actually be. <laughs> um, I love Carol. I love Rooney. But I have to say, the only actor in all of the movies that Kate has been in who has been better than Kate herself in a, in the movie is only Dame Judy. She's the only yeah. one who outacted her. But what's what I love about that though is because I feel like Kate is so generous with the space. Yeah. I don't feel like they're chewing on each other. She's so generous and knows who she's with and they're both able to like play off each other. Why did you do it? Because I didn't help you collect your cat. <laughs> You've got me, my family. Oh, take some responsibility. I gave you exactly what you wanted. You'd still be stuck in that marriage without me. What? You can't accept it yet. You but think you... I wanted to be here with you? You need me. I'm your friend. You put me in prison. I could get two years. They'll fly by. I mean, there are so many movies where you see like, you know, like, I think, like, Mark Ruffalo is this actor, you know, who tries to, like, do the thing. And I'm like, girl, relax. Yeah, like, take off your shirt. Yeah. Sorry, that's me. <laughs> yeah. That's me. Yeah. Sorry. Like, but, but there are a lot of actors like that. And I think Kate and Judy are such fucking pros that, you're right, Murtada, like, they, uh, I, I don't know, they give each other space. And it's a wonderful thing for it. But anyway, back to Carol. I mean, I don't even know what needs to be more said about Carol. I'm sure we may talk about it later. I don't know. Um. The but you know it's a movie in which she she plays a, a woman uh woman who falls in love with Rooney Mara and mm-hmm. um, she's married and it's the fifties and it's gorgeous and yeah. it's like her ninety millionth collaboration with um Todd Haynes ta- not Todd Haynes but the costume designer I can't think of her name oh is it Sandy like Powell Su- yes Powell. yeah and it's so like she just knows I I believe she said that Kate Blanchett like you can basically put her in anything like clothes just the look great on her she's like dripping in that movie it's like dripping of like glamour yeah yeah sandy powell called her the best clothes wearer in the world yes and and she's right but i i i think that's sandy powell not giving herself enough credit to because sandy powell is just amazing i mean the films are films literally films (laughs) are better because sandy powell exists (laughs) her costumes are always amazing and she has costumed kate three times the aviator carol and cinderella she also in 2016 she does manifesto for julian uh roosevelt which is a video installation it's actually an art project um and she plays uh 12 different characters delivering different uh manifestos uh there is a are 13 different characters i'm sorry that's 12 different manifestos 13 characters um there is a film version of it a 90 minute film version you can watch it on amazon i don't think it works necessarily as a film but it's not a film yeah exactly that's the problem the video um, installation was very impressive. As somebody who is a Kate Blanchett fan, there is a, you go through these installations, you're walking around, there's, there's 12 of them. And then there is a moment, because they all are playing in a timely manner, there is a moment wherever you are, 
all 12 and all 13 Kate characters come together in every screen, looking at you from every corner of the installation. It means wherever you turn, it's the 13 Kate Blanchett's, and they're all saying the same thing, and it is magnificent. Yeah, wow. that sounds great. <laughs> I, I have no issue with that. I think if Kate Blanchett were ever to direct a movie, or to, and she has directed plays with the Sydney Theatre Company, it would be something like Manifesto, because it seems it's the things that she likes. It's very highbrow, it's very avant-garde, but it's also about art, and it's theatrical, and she gets to perform using costumes and makeup and transformation. She does a production of uh, Andrew Up- Upton's adaptation of Andrew Chekhov's Plentinov called The Present. Um, that transfers to Broadway in 2017, so she makes her Broadway debut. Um, everybody loves it. Uh, she receives a Tony nomination for Best Actress, the Drama Desk Award nomination, and the Drama League Award nomination uh, for the Distinguished Performance Award. Um, does Goes back to films, starts doing... L- the the bigger thing again like starts yeah. she does Thor Ragnarok for Taika Waititi um because you know she needs a new boat and um <laughs> she she stars with uh all of female Hollywood in Ocean's 8 yes um and i can totally see why she did that um i know Louis, you you are notorious you hate that movie but i uh, I thought, I think it's fine. It's so boring. I, I, I get some laughs, with, you know. With that cast, you would expect it to be better. Especially, like, the first yes. Oceans was so fun. And this was just, yes. the potential is is just unrealized in the result. Absolutely. Well, I think there's nothing worse than watching Gary Ross try and, he's like a bad cover band version of Soderbergh. It's just like, why him? Why him? Why? Because he's Soderbergh's um, friend. That's why. I know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> And then in 2019, she did Where Did You Go, Bernadette? Which I like to refer to, Where Did You Go, theatrical release. Um, <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it was yeah, in theaters was... for less than a month. I've seen it. It's unfairly maligned. Really? And she's great. And the movie doesn't work, especially if you love the book. Um, Richard Linklater, I don't think, was the right person to adapt this book. The book is very funny. It's a satire. He takes a kernel of the ideas that are in the book to that he's interested in. He's not interested in the whole um, and I think the movie suffers because of that, but she's great in it. Just talking about her personal life real quick. I mentioned she's married to Andrew Upton. Uh, they met in 96 on the set of a TV show and were married on December 29th of ni- uh, 1997. They have four children together, three sons and an adopted daughter. Uh, all of the sons have amazing names. Uh, Dashiell, Roman, and Ignatius. Hello. And their daughter is Edith. So, like, just classic. Classy, classy. Yeah. Girl. They have a dog called Carol, which they got after Carol. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Do they really? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. They're they're in Manifesto, her three sons and her husband. They're, like, the Republican family that she's delivering the, the prayer to. Oh, my God. Uh, which is a different Manifesto. They're very funny in it. Because um, they just look like, just shut the fuck up, let's eat. Right. Um <laughs> But yeah, she said that they'd been trying to adopt ever since they had their first child, and I love you know we we talked we've talked about um, other actors' children before, um, and the in the different ways, and I I don't know it it always makes me I don't know I think adoption's so great I don't yeah. yeah. Anyways, they they lived in Brighton in England for 10 years, and then they moved back to Australia in 2006. She she said they really wanted a home base. Um, but then um, in 2015, they they moved, uh, or 2016, they moved out of Australia back to England. So, who knows? They, ha- they are home everywhere. Everywhere. Um, 
in terms of like uh, charities and um, social uh, things that she really supports, she's an avid supporter of feminism, and and obviously she's spoken out about that quite a bit. If you listen to yeah. her Oscar speech when she won for Blue Jasmine, it was a very feminist speech where she says the world is round people and it's all about yeah. Um, it's very feminist. And perhaps those of us in the industry who are still foolishly clinging to the idea that, uh, that female films with women at the centre are niche uh, experiences, they are not. Audiences want to see them, and in fact, they earn money. So... <laughs> the world is round, people! <laughs> it's all, I mean, she talks a lot about uh, pay disparity. Yes. And not only like the wage gap within f- actresses, but she's like, it doesn't matter what you work in. Like women are getting paid less. And Absolutely. And it sucks. And it's stupid. And it needs to stop. And she also talks a lot about how women are not allowed to fail, uh, which is which happens to a lot of female directors. If your movie flops, you're just in directing Gone. jail. In, in like a moment of like Nostradamus style prediction mm. in 2013, she said, quote, she was very concerned about a wave of conservatism sweeping the globe and threatening the role of women in society. Surprise, Honey, bitch. Yeah, exactly. Honey, it's here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's six years later and it's here. She's uh, a patron ambassador of the Australian Film Institute. In, 20, in 2006, she joined the former U.S. Vice President Al Gore's climate project. She's very scared of climate change. She mentions it in like almost all of her current interviews. Um, she was made an honorary life member of the Australian Conservation Foundation in 2012 in recognition of her support for environmental issues. And in the beginning of two, 2011, Blanchett lent her support for a carbon tax, which she's received a lot of criticism for, mostly from conservatives. Idiots. Yeah. Dum-dums. Um, in January in 2014, Blanchett took part in the Green Carpet Challenge, which was an initiative to raise the public profile of sustainable fashion founded by Livia Firth of the Eco Age. And... The- it's around was it that same year i don't know if it's 2014 but that was there was the year in which she was on the red carpet and the camera started to pan down and she was not having it yeah that's an iconic moment she's Uh, like what are you doing hello yeah do you do that to the men is what she said Yeah. yeah you know there's a lot of shows now and they all seem to be televised and you're wondering who the event is actually for it's wonderful to be there but you know, you have to talk about being there a lot. And, and I'd noticed it's about the fourth thing I'd been to that week, which is wonderful, very grateful, very honoured. But um, the cameras, I was talking and the camera started doing this. I thought, what's it doing? And then it went up again. And it's just something that I'd sort of try. I'd, I'd been, my brother had been taught not to do it. My, I'm certainly teaching my boys, you, you'd never do, give the woman the once over. And I thought, that's exactly what that man is doing, but behind the camera. So I, th- I just found it a bit silly. I mean, they have many petty cams. I mean, what the? She's such a celebrity in her in her home country. She actually spoke at former Prime Minister of Australia Gough Whitlam's uh, state funeral in 2014. Wow! And then in 2016, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees announced that she would be appointed as a global goodwill ambassador. She's not the first actor we've talked about being a global goodwill ambassador, but like, I I just think that's so fucking cool. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, especially this time to to choose to work with the refugee crisis that's all over the world. Like, this is the time to get involved with that. Absolutely. And it's good It's good to, like, I don't know, put your money where your mouth is. And yeah. she's constantly showing that yeah. throughout her career. Um, 
in terms of awards, we mentioned, you know, I mean, it's this whole section of my notes is awards and I'm not going to read them all, but let's just say incredibly lauded. Um, uh, her films have grossed over $9.8 billion in terms of worldwide box office. I mean, so, that's yeah. mostly The Hobbit and Lord <laughs> of the Rings. She's had a lot of flops, too. Like, you know, let's not beat around the bush. There's a lot of that's movies true. that nobody has seen. As always, when I hope when we do this show, that people go out and seek out some of the ones that we talk about that are maybe not known to them, that are really good right. performances. I mentioned Little Fish, you mentioned Heaven. Like, I think, I think these are great things. But I think that really brings us up to date. That yeah. gives us a round idea of who Kate Blanchett is. So why don't we move into our picks? Why don't we start with our one-star reviews, just yeah. so we can all decide which are maybe not the best films Kate Blanchett is in. Martata, I want you to go first, because yeah. you have the most experience, the most knowledge of uh, Kate what what's your one star review? Um, it's very hard because I love her so much, but I'll choose mm. the gift, and I'll the tell gift. you why. Um, okay. I think the gift as a movie doesn't work, and it's a crazy movie, and crazy things happen in it. But Kate Blanchett is—I love her because she's somebody who's not afraid to go big, and you know sometimes it works, and you get Blue Jasmine, and sometimes you go big, and it's Elizabeth's the Golden Age which she's very big in, the movie doesn't work, but it also gives you a moment of, you know, that when she's like, that moment was, I have a hurricane in me, which is an amazing moment. But that's what you remember it for. In the gift, she doesn't go big. And I think there's a disconnect maybe between what the movie was and when it became, because when doing the research for the film, I found out that she said something like, I chose to do the gift because I was interested in the story of a woman you know, dealing with the loss of her husband. But the movie's not about that at all. So maybe the script changed because she is doing um, subtle work uh, in a film that is not subtle at all. So that disconnect makes the Mm. performance... She doesn't fill the screen as she usually does, even though technically it's a good performance because she's got the accent down, she's got it all down, but the tension between the performance and the film does not work to her advantage, which is why it's my... One star review. What does being psychic enable you to do? Oh, well, I see things. And I, you know, I sense things that, well, they hadn't happened yet or they were happening someplace else. My granny told me that I, I had a gift. It runs in my family and she told me that I shouldn't be afraid of it. I should just always use my instinct and I'd, I'd be all right. So you're swearing before this court that you didn't get your information about this tragedy from any other means than your special ability, your gift. Yes, sir. So the gift is a, she plays a fortune teller, a woman in somewhere, I think, in the South. It's not very clear. Maybe Georgia. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I listened to your episode about it, and I was just like, and, and I watched the movie, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I never realized they don't tell you. And your guest was like, it might be Louisiana. And you're like, it might be Georgia. And I was like, I don't know where it is. <laughs> yes. So she's a fortune teller, and she has two clients who are both dealing um, with problems in their family. So one is Hilary Swank, who's a battered wife by her husband, Keanu Reeves. And the other is Giovanni Ribisi in a very bad performance, playing yes. this man who's ab- who was abused as a child by his father. And sort of those two stories come to clash. She's trying to help them. And at the same time, 
Katie Holmes plays this woman who disappears. And the person who in the end is the one to give this widow that Kate plays maybe the most comfort is Greg Kinnear, who is the fiance of Katie Holmes. It's, see, it's such a crazy story and it's bonkers and it then becomes a courtroom drama and you don't know what's happening. It's, it's just, it doesn't work. Yeah, great. I mean, I did not watch it, but... You've I, had two opportunities, Louie. Why have you not... <laughs> okay, it's if, okay. You're if fine. If I see Katie Holmes on the bill, I'm like, mm, I don't know. She tries so hard. Does she? Does she? <laughs> um, I think that's a very good pick, though. Um, it sounds ridiculous. I mean, you said she plays a fortune teller. I was like, okay. Yeah. She receives, like, numerous psychic visions throughout the film, and it's, yeah, it's... This, I agree. I, I think this is very hard because uh, I I said before, I think she has a tendency to sweep into movies, even bad movies, and like pull focus and elevate them, even if I'm not enjoying them. But I think maybe my least favorite performance, and I know she got some good reviews for it, was Veronica Gerwin. Um, wow. Yeah. It's a 2003 Joel Schumacher film. Um, listen, it's a Joel Schumacher film. It's directed by Joel Silver. I think the problem is, is the script isn't there and it's not giving her enough to like build a full character of. So she's playing a real woman. She was a, a member of the press, an Irish reporter who basically decides to try and go after the drug ring that's, that's, you know, causing a huge major problem in Ireland. Uh, she has a source who isn't always honest with her. Sometimes he's using her for his own needs. So eventually, like, her reporting gets her in more and more trouble. A man breaks into her home and shoots her in the leg. You know, she gets beaten up by the head of this drug ring. And eventually it all leads to... And you learn this at the beginning of the movie, so this is not a spoiler, really. Um, well, it's not a spoiler because she's a real woman and this happened to her. Right. She gets murdered by this drug ring uh, for her attempting to take them down. And there's a coda in the film that tells you everything that happens afterwards. I don't necessarily think she's bad. I think that there the the film is it's it's produced in a very sentimental way. It it's like too close. This all occurred in 1997, I want to say. So it's less than a decade out from this actual occurrence that happened. I think the script looks back at it in this very sort of disnified, like, oh, this is this is what happened, and it's very crusadery, and I I don't think any of that plays necessarily to her strength. I think her accent, her Irish accent, so fucking good in this movie. Another and, accent, absolutely. Um, but I it just never fully con- congeals for me, and I think. I, one of the better parts of the movie I found out was improv by her. There's a scene where she's working the case and it's super late and um, she's listening to music and she like turns the music loud and she starts dancing and she gets her husband to dance and her kid comes out and they start dancing. That was all Kate Blanchett. And it's one of the few like human moments that you really get with this character because up until that moment and mostly after it, she's just a crusading ideal. Right. And it's not a full-fleshed person, which is not great for playing a person who actually existed. I don't know. It just didn't fully work for me. There's a really great... Uh, there's also a really great scene in the middle with um, Colin Farrell, who shows up for a scene. One scene. Because oh he's friends God, with Joel yeah, Schumacher. I forgot he's in that. Do you fancy going for a pint? There's a great little pub down the road, very quiet. That's almost as quit. 
Where, where would you hide three million quid? How could you find any fun in hiding three million quid, man? Wouldn't you be out in the town spending it like a mad thing, wouldn't you? Yeah. Exactly right. Good night. Thanks. So no point now. I gotta say, I fucking love this movie. Really? Yeah. And but I'm 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 famously a sucker for any journalism movie. And, and I like a good journalism movie. And I like the message of the movie. I don't I don't think the movie ever. The heart is never in the wrong place. Right. But that's the problem, is the heart is too firmly in the right place that it's not willing to to really discuss the, like, darker presence. So even even though she's being threatened, even though her family's uh, in peril, it still feels like this grandiose film about, like, what she's gonna keep going. And it never explains to me what it was that drove her to, to well, do this. I think, for me, what I my sense of the film and Veronica Guerin and her in this movie was like, she was not just a reporter. She was an uneducated columnist who other journalists did not like because she didn't, you know, have professional training. And she was a columnist who mostly talked about the church and uh, she was a personality so people knew when they were reading a Veronica Guerin column what they were going to get. This right. was a brassy, uh, ballsy woman, and she was a member of their community. And so, like, the coda of this movie essentially is that the people of Ireland flipped the fuck out yeah. and drove out the... Uh, I mean, like, Parliament changed laws, and, uh, you know, people really um, took her death, her murder, um, really seriously to change their community. And I mean, literally, as the credits were rolling, I was on the verge of sobbing and I had to turn <laughs> my computer off and I was like, stop, I am too close to this. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. I Would you have been affected the same way had you not known it was a real person? Probably, just because of my profession, really? you know, okay. like, I... Okay, because I feel like the movie doesn't doesn't deliver those goods well and i think like you said that moment when she's dancing with her kids and you know that that whole thing i mean the part where she's human (laughs) right but even like the parts where you know the other journalists are like talking shit about her and and she is shook when they shoot her the first time oh yeah it's it's she's very good i think the the movie fail it's one of the few times where i think you know, I always try and base this off performance, and I think right. I think the movie fails her performance. Mm. I think I'm a little bit in between you guys. I think the film, I agree that the film is a little bit by the book, and it's never exciting. But also the story is so visceral that right. it sometimes works just because um, of how, you know, real it feels. I, I just wish, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where like, and I know people don't go see documentaries, which you should all fucking go see documentaries. Right. God damn it. But like, I just, just one of those things where I'm just like, this would have made a great documentary and I would have really felt it. And I'm, I'm, I, I felt distanced in a way that I don't think I was meant to feel. Okay, Louis, what is your one star review? My one star review uh, is Charlotte Gray. Um, I did not see this, so I might, I give five stars to Billy Credit for being so cute. Um, he really I've is. seen this Billy so long ago that I don't know if I'll be able to add anything. I don't remember anything <laughs> about it. Exactly. And, and there is the point, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's so forgettable. And I think this movie is trying its best to um, make the horrors of the Holocaust feel very real and visceral. But uh, it just doesn't do the thing. Um, Charlotte Grey is a 2001 movie. 
um, where um, sh- her name is not Charlotte. I mean, the whole thing is like she's a woman who falls in love with a pilot um, and he is being sent out to France um, and uh, she wants to go to France and he's like, you're fucking crazy. So she she joins um, the British spy, whatever, gets sent out and Charlotte Grey is her... Um, I want to say Charlotte Grey is her her code Co- name. Code name. It is yeah. the code name, yeah. And this is a, sort of her second collaboration with Gillian Armstrong, who also directed her in Oscar and Lucinda, which was one of her first movies. But also Gillian Armstrong has done amazing movies for, with Judy Davis, my brilliant yes. career, and with Nicole Kidman. So she goes, she meets up with Billy Crudup and his like ragtag team of, you know, dissenters. And essentially the whole idea of like, you know, are, are we going to you know, uh, how are, they're trying their best to like, you know, save Jewish people and uh, their town from being overrun by Germans. Uh, there's a lot of like double crossing and uh, oh, oh, she finds out. I mean, she's literally she's there because she's in love. She's she has this idea. She's going to meet this the pilot who's there. She thinks he's died. I would have loved this movie had one thing on its mind. And in the end, you know, spoiler alert, that her and Billy Crudup don't have to fucking make out. <laughs> it's like, this is not a romance. Like, this movie has, I think, is works a lot better when it's just about, you know, the, 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 the atrocities of war. You did your best! Don't say that. My best? How dare you say that to me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't even know my name. Yeah, and this is these are the years of the wilderness, right? Right after yeah. Elizabeth and the Talented Mr. Ripley, and until The Aviator, you know, where she did. I think all the movies that we chose are from that period: Veronica Guerin, Charlotte Gray, and The Gift, where she was kind of lost. But I think looking back now, I don't think she was lost. She was just trying different things and working with yeah. people she wanted to work with, but just the movies didn't work. Um, yeah. and, and it's funny because a lot of my, you know, normally at this part we ask what are some of the other films. Like you said, this was very hard, but there are a couple. Like I think she's great in The Man Who Cried, but it's not a movie I love. You know, I think she's very, I think she single-handedly saves the movie Bandits from itself. <laughs> Um, All which these I just movies watched are today. around this time. The early 2000s oh, were not a good time for Kate. <laughs> I thought Cinderella was such a fucking weird remake for Disney. But I'll give it this for the... She's great. I'll, She's and I'll so also fun give it in the, Cinderella. And I'll give it this for their remakes. I would rather see a hundred Cinderella's than what they did to Beauty and the Beast or like, you know, yeah. some of the other paint or by Aladdin. numbers. You know, I don't know. Like, yeah. I I don't, I haven't seen all this Disney remakes, but I've seen Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella's by far much better. The, the only thing that I thought was confusing about Cinderella was Derek Jacobi playing the king. And it's like, oh, honey, you are the queen. Hello. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really disappointed in her post-Carol career. But Carol was such a pinnacle that maybe she needs a few years of just trying to figure yeah. out what, how to top it. I mean, also, Indiana Jones and the Crystal, yeah, Crystal Skull is woof. Um, what do you mean? I'm giving that my five stars. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get out of here. Guys, I don't like talking negatively about her. No, not at all. She's a queen. Yeah, so let's move on to our five-star reviews. Absolutely. 
since we made you go first for your one-star review, we're also going to make you go first for our five-star reviews because we're evil. So, Murtado, what is your five-star I mean, review? I have so many choices, right? And right. I struggled with this because obviously I, I thought I'd leave Blue Jasmine and Carol to you guys. Um, so I'm not going to go with those, although those are recognizably the pinnacle of her career. So I'm just going to choose a movie that I really, the performance I really love, even though I don't love the movie, and I'm choosing The Aviator and her performance as Catherine Hepburn because yes. it is the best of both worlds. It is mimicry of somebody I love and an actor who a lot of people love, played by, I think, somebody who came decades after but is also reminiscent of them in their career. And she if not in their persona. Um, and she just does so well with it. And it is a movie that, you know, the movie is about Howard Hughes, for those who don't know. It's 2048 Theater by Martin Scorsese. It's about Howard Hughes. But it takes Howard Hughes um, had love affairs with a lot of Hollywood stars. In the movie, he only has, it was about three. And the biggest one of yeah. them is Catherine Hepburn. So she, she, acts as the counterpart for his time in Hollywood. But she is playing Catherine Hepburn, and she's playing her as a Catherine Hepburn performance. Like, when you watch The Aviator and you see Kate Blanchett playing Catherine Hepburn, you could totally imagine Kate Blanchett in those parts, in Bringing Up Baby, in um, Women of the Year, in those movies from the 30s and 40s. And this sort of that's why I chose this movie, because it is a Kate Blanchett performance, but it's also... A performance from that era that I love. You're not extending enough on your follow-through. Follow-through is everything in golf, just like life. <laughs> Don't you find? <laughs> Saw your Scarface picture. Violent. Realistic. Movies are movies, Howard, not life. Now the stage. The stage is real. Real flesh and blood human beings right out there in front of you, buster. Can't look away, can't munch popcorn. That would be rude. Do you like the theater? No. Oh, I adore the theater. You know, those movies from Catherine Hepburn and Betty Davis. So that's why I give it my five star. And she won the Oscar for it. And Yeah, what a special... It. Yeah, what a special performance. And and it is... Like, I, first of all, I love the fact that in, in the opening credits of your show, you always use... You have the... Uh, I'm not acting. Um, but uh, <laughs> the... Uh, I, I love, too, that she really has to... You know, stretch the gap that is the the like persona of Catherine Hepburn and the person of Catherine Hepburn and you know you have the scenes where she's doing the the screwball comedy and she's talking real fast she's got the bringing up baby persona and then you have the scenes like and you mentioned this on your episode where she's like we're not like other people right yeah and the moments where she's like telling him like you know what celebrity is, you know, and like we we know the truth of who we are, right? But we also have to do the work, right? We are like beholden to these personas that we have presented to the world. Uh, Martin Scorsese, being the film nerd and avid researcher that he is, has shot every scene of Catherine Hepburn. Um, the coloring in those scenes are based on the coloring of the Catherine yes. Hepburn movies that of that year. So, for instance, yeah. the first scene is based on Sylvia Scarlet, which was the movie released when she met Howard Hughes, and so on and so forth. So, as it's five years, and it's about five or six scenes, and if you notice, the colors are different, and he based it on Catherine's filmography of the time. I think I think we maybe mentioned Sylvia Scarlet in our drag episode, because mm. she, she plays a woman disguised as a man. Yep. Um, the... Uh, 
yeah, what's really cool about that too is um I first of all I I love Technicolor and so when it eventually gets up to the Technicolor thing I think the movie really shines. I'm also colorblind and so it's really funny that um I didn't notice there, there's a scene in a restaurant where he's like eating capers and it's two strip color technology at the time. And so the capers are bright blue because they couldn't do green. And I had no idea. And somebody had to point it out to me because I can't see blue or green. And so I was just like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Uh-huh, like, of course. yeah, but yeah, that's uh, a great pick. That's an excellent pick. I, uh, Louis, do you want to go next? I will be the fagoot that picks blue Jasmine because... <laughs> I saw it twice in theaters. I've seen it twice since. I just showed it to my boyfriend for the first time. And I was like, babe, buckle up. Because we're about to go on a journey. Okay? (laughs) When you see Kate Blanchett with those sweaty armpits, you know she's doing the great work. Um, Blue Jasmine is a Woody Allen movie, um, allegedly. Um, No, it actually is. (laughs) It came out in 2013. um, And it's about a woman... Um, Jasmine French, that's not her real name. No. But uh, she's kind of like this delusional woman. She's going, she's unraveling, like you said, Murtada. Uh, you f- you meet her at the beginning, flying to San Francisco sh- to live with her um, sister. It's not her blood sister, her adopted sister, she'll have you know. Um, because her husband, played by Alec Baldwin, um, uh, something has happened in their life. She's broke, has no money. And she's a woman of society. She's a woman of Central Park and, you know, Fifth Avenue. Uh, and and she can't believe she's kind of slumming it in San Francisco with her uh, sister who, you know, has a kid and had, had a loser deadbeat husband. Um, and she has no skills, really. But she kind of, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. This movie is just, she it thinks a lot about who she wants to be. And she realizes her rea- when when she realizes her reality is not uh, conforming to that in her brain, she starts losing it. Um, I think this movie is a lot about the extent you can go to form who you want to be. Um, her and her sister, played by Sally Hawkins, who's also phenomenal. Oh, I, mean, I love Sally Hawkins. We 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 were at one point going to do an episode about yeah. her. It's still going to come, still guys. Coming. We're, yeah, oh, she's yeah, so guys. amazing. My favorite she's thing so... of hers is when she meets Alec Baldwin and she curtsies. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. No, my favorite thing uh, in the movie is when she's like, "Oh, he doesn't call it perfumes. He calls them fragrances. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fragrance." And she thinks she's so high brow by yeah. saying it's uh, it's uh, so sweet and endearing um and the tension between Kate Blanchett and her and these are both adopted girls who grew up in the same world but they had to create their own world and they are just like on the opposite end of the spectrum you know and uh, everything about Jasmine's life is false yeah. I um, would add something and... to what I said earlier about how we should give the actress credit for this movie because, and not Woody Allen, because Woody Allen did not do any rehearsals. One of the stories that right. I love that Sally talks about is that she came to New York weeks before the movie started to work on her accent and to just live in the city um, in preparation. And Kate was in Brooklyn doing Uncle Vanya and they would meet and work on the script together and built a history for the sisters that is not in the script. It's not in the movie, but it's definitely in their performances. Yeah. What I love about there's so many like small things in this movie that if you catch it, it just makes the 
performance and a story that much richer, you know, you get a very quick sense that Sally Hawkins um, did not have a good experience with their adoptive parents, and yes. you do not you do not know what happened to her, right? But she had she had to leave, um, and there's a whole plot about you know, uh, Jasmine was the one that had the good genes, the good genes, and sh- and Jasmine takes great umbrage at at that, and she's like, I've had to work hard, and it, literally Sally Hawkins is like, What the fuck are you even talking about? You know, you had to work hard, like bitch, please. The best scene of this entire movie, and there's many. When she's talking to the kids, there's two kids and and she's babysitting and she's sloshed three zannies in. Yeah. And she's like, listen. <laughs> Just like me. Yeah. yeah. You know, I ran charities for poor people. Ran, you know, raised money for museums and schools. You know, with wealth comes responsibilities. I wasn't just some mindless consumer like so many of my so-called friends. <laughs> Though I won't say I dislike buying pretty clothes. Tip big boys. Tip big because you get good service and they count on tips. You know, someday when you come into great wealth, you must remember to be generous. Mom said you used to be okay, but you got crazy. Yeah, and then you talk to yourself. That scene is mind-blowing. And that's her most vulnerable scene because she thinks she's having a full conversation with these eight-year-olds about, you know, there are only so many horrors a human being can take, fellas. Um, Without, and, before they take to the streets. <laughs> yes, before they take to the streets. And I, I mean, there are so many moments in that movie. It's, and I also was talking to Derek about this. I mean, there are parts of this movie, there's this the, the plot with the dentist. She works for a dentist yeah. for a little while. And he falls in love with her or whatever, wants to fuck her. sexual harassment. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and I thought... Why is this in the movie? We could lose this, and you really don't... Like, the plot lives on without this. To me, it informs that, like, for all of um, her delusions, I wonder if Jasmine has had to deal with sexual harassment a lot in her life. She is a woman mm-hmm. um, who is beautiful and, you know, gives this... I mean, they, they go to extreme lengths to tell her how elegant she is. Right. And all I can get from these scenes is, like, man... Just to be a fucking woman, huh? Mm-hmm. Like even at work, she and she's told him, "I'm trying to get money to pay for classes to do things," and she's trying to build her life. She's desperately trying to build this life without her husband and without all the things that she's had before. And and literally, he's like, "Well, that's taking up time here in the office, and you can't do that." And then has the nerve to fucking not only ask her out, but to literally force himself on her. Yeah. Um. It, which is, uh, I, I I don't know. I which I pre- I was like, you know, it's not super important to the plot of the movie, but it is informing of this character. And it, I mean, God, the layers of this character is it's incredible. I I love this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I so love much. the performance. I love everything about it. But I love mostly the silences in the performance. Is when before she, when you know she's at the party and she's talking to herself, or when she's yeah. with Peter Sarsgaard and he's asking her questions and she's lying to him, and then every once in a yeah. while you see Kate just take a moment to I think take in the lie or think about the lie, and you're just like, what is in Jasmine's head all the time? And we don't know, but you know it's crazy in there, and it's and she's confused and it's just the performance is so well modulated and there's also this whole idea of like trying to ask for more get more she keeps telling um her sister you can do better you can have more in life i did 
but literally every single time uh, Sally Hawkins character has tried and she gets burned hard and badly, you know, a Louis C.K.'s in this fucking movie, like, ugh. But, you know, and she thinks like, oh, he's better than whatever it gets burned. Right. You know, with Andrew Dice Clay, they want to do better and literally give away their money that they won in the lottery and get burned. Um, and it's it's the 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 two the two sisters are such weird mirrors of each other and it's just um when the movie finally comes to an end you're just like what the fuck did i just watch and and also worth mentioning this movie came out in the summer very early in the year um for oscar things it made a butt ton of money and that's why she talks about it in her Oscar acceptance speech because the the, the storyline that everyone kept wanting to talk about was like, oh my god, your movie with like all these women and it made so much money back in the summer and now you're here winning an Oscar. And she's like, yeah, women can fucking make movies yeah. and it makes money. Like, I don't know why you're shook. Um, she's talked about how Woody Allen spent no money on the, the movie he, that he like would not pay for any costumes or things. So she was like having to call for friends and favors and stuff. And... So, yeah, I agree with you, Mertabit, like, because she did the work. Her and Sally did the work to, I I know for a fact that, like, he was not like, okay, yeah, let's get you a beautiful dress or a gown or whatever. Like, she did all that herself, and and that is what makes the movie the thing that we're talking about today. And the movie is perfection. Like, if we're talking about the costumes and the costume designer and the makeup artist, it's just the repetition of the costumes. That was a budgetary thing, but it also helps chart this woman who is fallen from grace and she's not as rich as she used to be anymore. So of course she's going to keep a few choice, amazing cost, amazing clothes and then rewear them. And that really yeah. helps in, in charting the character and, and the sweat. Oh, the makeup in that movie yeah. is so great. Like so, so good. Like, yes, this is somebody who's drunk and on Xanax might start to, to, to look um, when they're under a little bit of stress, or a lot of stress, or or, or a lot of stress, <laughs> yeah, um, enough of Blue Jasmine, but never enough, never enough. Gavin, um, what's your five star review? So I like, and you have to promise me this: you put Carol on the poll, please. I'm not going to pick Carol. You're not picking Carol. I'm not, even though it is, in fact, in my heart of hearts, my my five star. Review. Okay, it really is, but. I've said this many times on the show. A lot of times I really want to pick something that maybe somebody hasn't heard of and maybe it'll let them see. So my five-star review for all intents and purposes outside of Blue Jasmine, Carol, the Aviator is 2002's Heaven. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love Heaven. I, I loved it too. I'm I'm a big uh, uh, Chris Lewski fan. Uh, he wrote the original script. He co-wrote the original script. Uh, before he passed away, he was ne- he never intended to direct it. Actually, it's funny. His co-writer said that they'd always intended for this trilogy of films, Heaven, Purgatory, and Hell, to hire younger directors that would bring something different to the film. The film goes to Tom Tickver, who had done Run Lola Run. Tom Tickver takes this movie, sort of puts his own spin on it, but it still plays like a Chris Lewski film where it's. It's kind of, it's, these characters are doomed from the second they enter the screen, but there's like this weird hopefulness that's there. And so let me describe the plot of the movie. Essentially, Kate Blanchett is an English teacher who has a lot of young, she's a British woman living in Italy. 
a lot of her students have already been hooked on drugs. These are like 13-year-olds. She's seeing them destroy their lives. Her husband passes away. Her husband, who she was in the process of getting divorced from, um, she finds a bomb that he left. And she decides she's going to take down the the head of this drug ring. She takes the bomb to his office. Is it a drug ring or is it like a pharmaceutical company? It's a pharmaceutical company, yeah. I mean, it's drugs, regardless. Sure. Um, the head of this pharmaceutical company, uh, who has ties to the Italian police as well. And uh, she puts a bomb in his garbage bin um, and then tries to clear everybody she can from the office so it just kills him. Unfortunately, a cleaning lady picks up the bomb, brings it to an elevator. A man and his two daughters die as well as this cleaning lady. She kills four people inadvertently and doesn't kill her intended target. Um, she gets picked up by the police because she calls to tell the man that it's her. Mm-hmm. So she she knows she's doomed. She gets brought in. This all occurs within like the first 10 minutes. It's so tragic. Uh, yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, she's delivering a lot of her lines in Italian. Giovanni Berbisi is this young policeman who uh, she decides she's going to give her testimony in English. So he's going to translate for her. She doesn't know what has happened. And the reason this movie is my five-star review, there's so many good things in it, but the scene in which she is informed that she has killed four innocent people instead of her intended target, the way it is played is a masterclass in film acting. And what's amazing about her is she is a theater actor, and a lot of times theater actors have a tendency to go big. Uh, We talked about this in our Ewan McGregor episode. Not that he's a theater actor, but he is... He's big. Mm -hmm. He always goes for the bigger. She pulls in like a turtle moving into its shell it it's literally watching someone's soul die um no um accusate di appartenere a un'organizzazione terroristica con intenti di destabilizzazione dello Stato e dell'omicidio premeditato di quattro civili. Was it only four people who died? Sono solo quattro le persone morte. Non gliene bastano quattro. No, 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 I just mean the office. The man in the office, I put the bomb in his office, I... It's a powerhouse performance in one scene alone. Yeah. And you still have an hour and 20 minutes left of this. The best part of that scene, though, is like there's four Italians just like watching her. And because they think she's done this on purpose. Right. They think she's part of a terrorist cell. Yeah. And yeah. and they're like, why is she freaky? Like, what is happening? Yeah. And she's, she's completely alone in this like... Uh, really awful internal right and thing. and alone on so many levels because she has a husband who's died she's a foreigner it, you know she just and she genuinely she had convinced herself 
that she was doing something right. Yep. And royally fucked up. Um, essentially from there, Giovanni Ribisi falls in love with her, decides he's going to try and help her escape. Uh, it's very tense from there. It gets a little like, um, uh, what's the best way to put it? It's, um, fantastical realism to an mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. She sure. sort of goes on, on the run with him, you know, uh, she gets what she wants and then they try to leave the country and I don't want to give away the, the whole game there. It's very emotional. There's a there's a great scene where Giovanni Ribisi's father comes in to try and help them escape, mm-hmm. and he's like, he clearly loves you. Do you love him? And she answers, and I don't know if I believe her answer. And it's because of the way she plays it. It's beautiful. Yeah, there are so many layers to perform to that performance. Yes, you're never sure of what she's thinking. Absolutely, and that's what when when you were talking about you know her as jasmine when she when she's lying and she she's thinking of these answers i i felt that in this but not necessarily lying but i think she's just in an inescapable position on so many levels she's built a prison for herself and then almost ends up in a literal prison yeah it's it's heartbreaking and it's hard it's not an easy film but it's beautiful and tense and romantic at points and i think it's very romantic yeah it's i think it's very beautiful some of the shots i was like oh my god when they're under that tree i was like hello it's it's a quiet film you know and when they're under that tree there's a moment where you're like oh they 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 don't think that they're getting out of this yeah so how are they going to spend their last day like what are they going to do right and so there's like a weight on that performance i think that carries throughout it. I don't know. It's, it's fa- like, I think it's a, a masterclass in acting, but that being said, I fucking love Carol. And please, like, I can't believe none of us chose Carol. It is without I, doubt. I, the I did. Pinnacle I did in spirit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I will. T- I literally, if you want to engage me about Carol, I will talk to you from now until eternity about Carol and how amazing her performance as Carol aired is. I, I love that. I've seen that movie. You know, Metrograph does this thing where they show it every Christmas. I know. I, I, how come we haven't run into each other? I go every I Christmas. I don't know how we haven't run into each other. Um, I saw it on Christmas Day by myself, and the woman next to me fell asleep during it, and she was snoring, and I was like, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it eight times in theaters when it came out. Um, oh, my God. Um, I've made friendships based on shared <laughs> love of Carol. Enduring it's friendships. It's so good. Um, yeah. And it's, it is an amazing performance because it is everything that she is great at and dialed up to the nth degree. It's glamorous Kate that we love from the red carpet. It is um, stylized performance Kate that we love from, from other movies. It is um, putting giving a nod to actors of the 40s and 50s. Like I could imagine Marlena Dietrich um, playing. So it's all these things and they're all come together under this masterful direction from Todd Haynes, who I always think she should work with all the time. And why isn't (laughs) he just making movies for Kate Blanchett? What do you do on Sundays? Nothing in particular. What do you do? Nothing lately. Maybe you'd like to come visit me sometime. You're welcome to. At least there's some pretty country around where I live. Would you like to come visit me this Sunday? Yes. <laughs> what a strange girl you are. Why? 
long enough space. So why don't we do our mixed reviews review and then we'll move into our fast forward. My one star review was 2001's Charlotte Gray. My one star review was 2003's Veronica Guerin. And my one star review was The Gift from 2000. Justice for Veronica Guerin, but whatever, moving (laughs) on. My five star review was 2013's Blue Jasmine. My five-star review was 2002's Heaven, but also really Carol. (laughs) My five-star review was Blue Jasmine and Carol, but really 2004's The Aviator. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) We're so mixed reviews today, guys. We're very mixed. But I mean, once again, it's it's hard not to to give it to you. It's hard. Uh, Let's jump into our fast forward. Mertada, you mentioned briefly that she famously has been attached to a Lucille Ball movie. Yes. And Aaron Sorkin scripted, hopefully not directed. Please. Um, what, what I've, you know, I do follow her news. So the last is that the script is ready. They're casting and they're trying to find a director, which is why it's being yeah. delayed because they haven't found the right director yet. And he's doing another film as a director, Aaron Sorkin. So it's not going to be him, unless they're going to wait for him for two, two more years. I didn't even hate Molly's Game. It's a great monologue disguised as a film, but, but he shouldn't be directing movies. That's uh, that's my opinion on that. She's also attached to Guillermo del Toro's next. Uh, and it's an adaptation of Nightmare Alley. Um, and she's starring along Bradley Cooper huh, and Rooney Mara. There you go. Yeah. So, and our beloved Tony Collette, another amazing Australian actor. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, we got to do a Tony episode. We got to do a Tony episode. Co- coming in 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, certainly not somebody who's not going to work. You know, she she works with everyone and everything under the sun. And she's doing her first appearance on American TV. She's doing an FX series, Mrs. America, about Phyllis That's Schlafly. That's great. Which is coming, I think, in the spring. It's funny, though, because her career, like we had mentioned, these, like, what she's been doing, she's been doing kids stuff. Yeah. Which uh, I don't think is surprising. You know, she has kids. Right. I, I've, a lot of actresses want to, like, do work that their kids could fucking watch. Yeah, I was going to say, not that her kids can enjoy Carol. Oh, goodness. <laughs> did anyone watch The House with a Clock in Its Walls? I did. No. How's that? So. No. no. I. I hate Eli Roth. Okay. Uh, I don't think he truly knows how to direct, let alone a kid's movie. Also, there's a... <sighs> He's going for something slightly deeper, and I don't think a lot of people really talked about it. Kate Blanchett's like a witch who can't use magic anymore because something really bad happened to her. And if you look closely, there's a tattoo on her wrist, and it's like, oh, she was okay. in a concentration camp. And it's like these higher themes in the movie because it's a kid's movie and because it's Eli Roth, who's like very shallow, like never explores them. It's really frustrating. I don't know. Uh, not not my favorite. Um, I'm also looking at the poster from Where'd You Go, Brenda? And all I'm thinking of is like, when is the Anna Winter biopic yes! coming out? <laughs> I mean, in another life, Kate Blanchett would have been the editor of Vogue because she's so stylish. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really want to see a, a movie, speak, speaking of, and this has been on my mind since we talked a little bit about Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, I really want to see a movie in which her and Tilda Swinton are just like at each other's throats. And mm. not that I want to watch women tear each other down. I just really want to see that happen. <laughs> yeah. I would love that. Um, it's I, it, it Like you had said, Matata, like it seems like her career is truly an open kind of field she's exploring so much right now 
And you know we'll just get an announcement very soon that she's gonna take a year off to go tour the world yes. in some checkoff play. Right. Oh god, please. I I have not been in New York while she's doing um theater, and I just I want it. Please come back. The uh. So what what do you guys sort of hope for a future? Because she's an interesting case where I I don't feel like she hasn't. There's anything that she hasn't done, and so I'm curious as to like what either of you think that you know would be interesting or or something that you know it doesn't necessarily even have to be something she hasn't done but what would be like an interesting next step for her career that's funny you mentioned that because like she's done the disney thing she's done the marvel thing um and so she's clearly you know checked all of the like money making big box office you know uh she did spielberg and and she's done like every indie thing under the sun um I would love for her to continue being like an ambassador for Australian filmmaking. I think she's such a um a good person to champion that and she is she has the street cred, the history. Um she know I mean she's literally worked with every Australian actor that we have heard of in America and worldwide. You know, I I when I was watching Little Fish, I was like, oh my god, Hugo Weaving. Like, yeah. it's like everyone. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's all I can say because I think, like, she's so good. I mean, she's going to find something that's going to, like, you know, be another banger. I, I, I'm I, not, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very sure of that. But I would just love for her to continue. Um, because unlike Nicole Kidman, who Nicole Kidman is, like, full celebrity, even though she's very good. She feels very Hollywood to me. Whereas, um, uh... Kate Blanchett feels still very much connected to like the culture and spirit of Australia. Yeah. Um, and I just love that about her. I, I would say on, on that note, I would want her to do something as gritty as uh, little fish again, because she's never done anything as gritty as that since she's done that. And it's been more than a decade now. So I would like to see her work with, you know, an up and coming director Australian or not. Um, and do something gritty, something that we don't expect from her. I want her to surprise us um, next. But I also want to see her work with Todd Haynes and Scorsese again. So do it. Yeah. yeah. Do it. Yeah, the the selfish part of me really, like you said, wants her to do nothing but Todd Haynes films. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I also do. I think, you you know, you mentioned that she's directed theater. I wouldn't mind seeing a movie directed by Kate Blanchett because I would love to see what she could maybe pull out of other actors that maybe they're not giving. Yeah, I mean, Todd Haynes famously said that the minute Kate Blanchett decides to direct, it'll be the end for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've heard her say, she's like, I don't know if I have, okay, I can't remember the words she exactly said, but she was like, my God, putting that amount of effort and energy into one thing for that long. Yeah. I don't know if I have the, the like um, patience or the discipline uh, because she is such a prolific um, worker. Um, but yeah, I mean, God, if she finds a project that she loves that much to direct, God help us all. Yeah, absolutely. The end of days. <laughs> so Kate Blanchett, uh, bringer of the end, uh, slouching towards Bethlehem. I think that wraps her up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she, I mean, she's amazing and she yeah. kind of can do anything. And like, I don't know, sometimes we say that at the end of the episodes, we're like, wow, they're really good and they could do, but like, she's a Swiss army human. Yeah. So Oh my god! I can can someone throw her like another accent for her to figure right, out exactly. <laughs> what I, accent I, hasn't she done? 
Yeah, I, know. I cannot wait to see her in the lead in the sequel to Apocalypto when she's doing like <laughs> ancient Aztec. And, uh, please don't do that, Kate. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? Like, would she be like a great, like a very good Emma Frost? I was, I, I have this Emma Frost action figure over here, and every time I look at it, I was like, Kate could play her. Kate could play her. Yeah. yeah. I'm also um, looking forward to, you know, she's she just turned 50, so this is when she could get the great big parts. Like, Meryl had yeah. a complete reinvention when she hit her 50s, and so did Catherine Hepburn. And she's on that level, so I'm looking forward to that. And that's another solid point. She's so young. She's, she's so, so young. young. She's got a lot ahead of her. Um... And yeah. we are so lucky. We are lucky. Uh, so, Murtada, before we go, I'm going to give you a moment to plug your stuff. But before I do that, uh, since I have you here, I just want to say, and this is my moment to, like, you know, puff you up, is uh, you are our first guest on our show that I have either not met in person or, like, or like have a, a, a kind of friendship with. Everybody else we've I've, like, met and whatnot. But I have followed your stuff for so long and i think you are so fucking talented uh. and that you are so good at what you do you're so insightful um i've listened to the film experience podcast for a long time and like i just i look forward to hearing your thoughts on things so when you started this podcast i was like oh my god it's a sign so thank you for coming on because i i do think i don't know i think your voice is like a necessary voice in criticism and so thank you seriously Thank you so much. That's so lovely. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's totally deserved. Yeah, it's... we loved having you here, Matata. You're so smart, so funny, and um, just the definitive Kate Blanchett voice we need. A- absolutely. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you online? So if you want to listen to Sundays with Kate, which is my Kate Blanchett podcast, you can listen to it on everywhere that podcasts are available or on sundayswithkate.com. And I also write at thefilmexperience.net. And you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says, and where you'll find all, you know, all the um, reviews and interviews that I do. Um, I have had um, the pleasure of interviewing a lot of queer filmmakers in the last year and a half. And all those interviews are on thefilmexperience.net. Excellent. Uh, awesome. Amazing. Um, and Gavin, where can you find us? Oh, you can find us everywhere online. If you want to chat with us on Twitter, you can find us as at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. You can listen to us basically everywhere. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music. Everywhere you can find Sundays with Kate. Abs- absolutely. Um, we're also on Instagram. Absolutely. It's the underscore mix underscore reviews. Correct. And if you want to write us a letter or send us a little email, send us a little love note, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Also, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a five-star review and a little little note there, too. Yeah. Just tell us, Murtada, you did, and I'll read it on the show eventually, I promise. So thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Murtada, once again. Thank Absolutely. You. Have a blessed weekend. Start to fall. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. In our favorite seasons coming up. Ooh. Awards. Yes. <laughs> if I was a stamp and you were my nail, I'd cling on tight as we traveled. But if you licked my back too much, I'd make your tongue go dry. Mm-hmm.